Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone. Ed Freifogel here for another episode of the GeoMob podcast. With me today is co-host Stephen Feldman. It's time for another update episode, just general catch-up about our projects and news across the uh, the geosphere. Stephen, how are you doing? Doing great. Sun's shining. We seem to be coming out of lockdown. Stuff's happening in the world. It's a good day, Ed. How about you? I'm doing well. Yes, spring is in the air. Things are getting better. The podcast has been doing very well. So I want to start actually by very briefly thanking everyone out there who's been sharing the podcast. We've been fortunate to have some great guests over the last couple of weeks and months. And I've had some very good conversations, so it seems to resonate with people. So big thanks to all of you out there who are listening and sharing the podcast with others. Stephen, maybe you want to start us off. What's new with Mappery? I saw you had some very nice maps. So, yeah, well, Mappery goes on and on. You know, it's amazing that we keep finding different ways that people are using maps and what we call maps in the wild. But this Last week, we had a bit of a special episode because Arno spotted some work by an artist called Ed Fairburn. And what it does is truly remarkable. It was so remarkable that when I saw it, my first words, and when you saw it, your first words were, wow. And I I actually entitled the post, wow. Because what Ed does is he takes a map and he takes, a photograph of somebody, and he then paints a picture, and he calls it topo-pointerism. Just the most incredible thing to see people's faces merged into maps, and he works on commission, so, you know, people choose where they want their portrait to be painted, which map they want. They're just fantastic. I'm really excited about them. I'm certainly going to be commissioning one myself. And I'm also going to try something that feels like it's impossible, but I'm going to give it a go. Ed's agreed to do a podcast interview with me. And quite how you get an artist to do a podcast interview when their work is so visual, I don't know. But we'll find out once uh, the podcast goes live in a couple of months' time. Anyway, so that was my big excitement of the last few weeks on Mapry. What about you with OpenKJ? What's been happening with this? Well, we're hard at work. Um, as listeners may recall from our last catch-up episode, we're, we're working now on kind of a geo-search widget, an auto-suggest widget. So that's progressing quite nicely. And I think by the time this episode goes out, we're going to be in the need of some some beta testers. So if anyone out there listening wants to have a preview of that and wants to give us some feedback, Please get in touch. We'd love to to, to show it to you and, and let you try to break it and take it for a spin. So yeah, that's progressing quite well on the technical side of things, product side of things. You know, we're also doing a lot of thinking kind of of how to position it in the market and how to price it, which is not so so straightforward because a lot of people price it based on the number of requests that were or the number of users. But the problem with that is it's very difficult for a website owner to estimate that. You know, it's very difficult to know how many keystrokes your users are going to make or whatever. So it leads to a lot of confusion or apprehension or misunderstanding. So we're trying to see if we can maybe take a different spin on that and, and kind of go in a different direction. But let's see. Let's see. It's still, still figuring out. Go for T-shirts. Do what? Do. Go for T-shirts. Small, medium, large, extra large, double XL, triple XL. Uh, what, yeah. What yeah, I so so that's one way. But well, what I was going to say is, I remember 
back in the day when sort of location-based services were first being talked about by the, the big GI vendors, and everyone was talking about transaction pricing. Yeah, and it was the big thing in on the internet for loads of things. We were talking about transaction pricing, and and just like you said, everyone who tried it came up against this problem that no one could predict how many transactions they were going to be using, and was this going to cost them a tiny amount of money or an absolute fortune and bankrupt them? You know, and there are examples yeah. at the beginning of people making terrible mistakes. So I think the small, medium, large type of thing. Is a good way to start. What I'd say on pricing is it doesn't have to be forever. Yes, that's certainly true. Yes, we can experiment with it. Well, you know, we're also wondering if a lot of people give a, a free tier or a free trial tier. Um, and we do that as well in our geocoding API um, because software developers, they need to try the service out. But with the search widget, you know, of course, we'll have a, a demo page where you can try it out. So we're thinking maybe we don't need to offer a free tier at all. You can test it on our site. And if you like it, then you can become a customer. So, and, but then, then you also get to the question of like, what should be the differentiator between the small and the medium and the large? Is it just volume or are there different features and things? So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We're experimenting with a lot of different things and trying to approach it with a very open mind and. And of course, welcome all feedback that people have, and, and we'll have to learn from the customers, of course. So. Looking forward to hitting the demo page. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> well, let's move on to some of the some of the issues across the geosphere that have been interesting us. I guess we want to start with one more serious and kind of and sad note. Stephen, you want to? Yeah. yeah. Last week, the open source geo community got the tragic news that. Our friend Milena Lidman had passed away after a very short illness with COVID. She died, I think, on Monday of last week. She was only in hospital for a few days. She, she was 37 years old. I can't tell you how tragic it is. I'm gutted. And I just wanted to say something about Milena because she really was the spirit of open source geo. She, she was a magical young woman. She was full of energy. She was full of enthusiasm. She was funny. She was passionate. I met her in 2018 in Dar es Salaam. She was one of the recipients of the travel grant program. So she came from Buenos Aires to Dar es Salaam for her first global phosphagy. Partway through the conference, she came up to me, introduced herself, and told me that she was going to be putting a team together to run a phosphagy in Buenos Aires in 2021, and would I help her? And by the time we'd finished the conference, three, four days, she convinced me, and I was on board to help her, and I did help her. And, and as you know, she was running phosphagy in Buenos Aires, which unfortunately, COVID has already stricken phosphagy in Calgary last year. It hit us again this year that we've had to go virtual. But now it's really, it's taken one of ours. It's taken her away from us, and it's a tragedy. She was one of the founders of Chicas, you know, the Spanish yeah, that's women's true. group, which is fantastic group. We've had um, Miriam Gonzalez has been on the podcast. Melena was one of the founders. She was also founder of something called Geo Libres, which was 
a group in Latin America to promote the creation and use of open data and open source. She was the co-chair of Phosphagy, and she was my dear, dear friend. You know, I was speaking to her. We were talking about recipes a couple of weeks ago. The last time I spoke to her, we were talking about traditional Jewish recipes in Argentina and in London. I'm going to miss her terribly, and I hope that we can make Phosphagy even though it's online, somehow special and a tribute to Milena because there's going to be an enormous hole in a lot of people's hearts when we open that conference up. That's my sad bit. I'm glad I said it. Milena, I love you and I miss you. That's heartbreaking, Stu. Heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's kind of a paradox with the, the COVID and the lockdowns. On the one hand, everything feels like it's going so slow because you're kind of stuck at home and not mm. able to travel and and but on the other hand, it feels like the sweep of events has come so fast and we it's only now that we're able to kind of digest it and look back and and you hear stories like that and it's just it's brutal. Yeah. It's yeah. brutal. It really is. And uh, and I have to say, you know, we'd be very fortunate, you know, we live in a nice home, we've been insulated from all of this, we go for walks, we we've all gone through through this pandemic without any real Pain. We don't know that many people who've been taken by it. This is just devastating, and it, I think it's devastating for a lot of people in our community. But all we can do is carry the flag, and I'm sure there will be some kind of activity to commemorate Milena because she certainly deserved it. For the benefit of the listeners, when exactly is Phosphorgy this year? The the Buenos Aires. I mean, it'll be online, but organised from Buenos Aires. Around the end of September. I can't remember the exact dates, but it's the end of September, beginning of October, okay. something like that. We'll make sure we get a link in the uh, in the show notes. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk about more cheerful things, shall we? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry that was a downer, everybody, but uh, I think it's important that we remember somebody like that. So on a positive side, Ed, what did you think about the big geo-business news of the last couple of weeks? Well, we had the exciting news about Pixelate, who yep. you spoke with with the founder a few months ago, I think I think uh, kind of at the end of last year, maybe in November or so, being acquired by Snap. Yep. And actually, that's quite interesting because the, the guy leading up the geo efforts at Snap is Randy Meech, who was here on the podcast last summer with his his podcast at the time. Uh, not his podcast, his startup at the time was was acquired by Snap as well. And so, you know, uh, two, two of the people we've interviewed have now joined Snap. And it seems like they're gearing up in the geo arms race to compete against compete against the others. So let, uh, I'm very curious to see what comes of that. I mean... I have to admit, it, it wasn't it wasn't immediately obvious to me that Pixelate's home should be Snap. You know, I, I, I saw the Pixelate technology, this kind of uh, location data collection technology as a more natural fit, maybe with like a, a Google or an Apple or something like that. Whereas with Snap, I associate that more with kind of teenagers and more of a pure social media play. But who knows? Who knows? Let's see. You don't know what path things are going to take. Well, those guys have got a lot of money, and they've got to find somewhere to go with with the application because you can't just keep sharing sharing pictures. I wouldn't. Are you it. are you a heavy Snap user, Stephen? You're you're. Uh, can I can I? What's confess? your what's your what's your handle over on Snap? What's your? Uh... Can I confess that I use Snap as much as I use Instagram? 
I'm completely right. balanced between the two. I've never touched either of them. Um, <laughs> no, I, look, I, I get that there are different platforms and different groups of people seem to coalesce on different platforms. You know, we, we tend to be Twitter users. I think a lot of the tech community are on Twitter. A lot of, you know, my kids are on Instagram a lot, I think. And I think Snap has been the small player, but not that small. You know, I mean, they were the guys that wouldn't sell to Facebook, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think in their demographic, you know, which is teenagers or young adults, I think they are quite, have a good penetration. So what I thought was interesting about it, I mean, reading some of the coverage of it, is it seems the move is, and I think Snap already has some elements of this, but is moving from being like, here's the map to here is your map. You know, yeah. but not just that shows very specifically where your friends are and, and the people you care about, the topics you care about in real time, of course. And, and so that's an interesting development that would be relevant, of course, across all demographics. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just looking at the short announcement that Sean Gorman made last week when they, when they announced this. And he said, we're beyond excited to be part of Snap, Map and AR teams, helping them overlay computing on the world. And that sort of gives you an idea of what you're going to be seeing coming out of this. So, I mean, the Pixel 8 technology was creating this incredibly huge 3D model of the world, massively, with a potential for massive crowdsourcing. If you now put that technology in the hands of a company that has got hundreds of millions, if not a billion, young people, with camera-ready phones, you're going to create the most incredible 3D model of the world from all of those people's activity, aren't you? Uh, I mean, certainly, there's you know the combination of technology with large user base is compelling. Yeah. Is compelling. I, I mean, I guess the devil is, of course, in the details of do do the yeah. consumers do do the users actually want to do this, and or, you know what are the tools that you give them, and how do you incentivize them, and Thing obviously privacy is always an issue. So, if you're really smart and you develop some AR type experiences for your user, where they're holding their phone up and pointing it at things to participate in some kind of experience, but whilst they're doing that, they're helping to build a point cloud that is building the 3D model of the world, so that it's sort of passive crowdsourcing of that data. Sure, but then what? What Snap is then going to sell that geodata? That, that just strikes me as a... They're going to build things on it. Like games and things or what? Or like, I, I, well, I guess then you just have an asset you can build all kinds of things with. So. You build all sorts of stuff on it. You know, I mean, I, look, I don't know. I mean, what's fascinating to me is I've known Sean for quite a long time, I think 10 years or more now. And... This is the third time that that guy has managed to do an X in a day. Well, I mean, he's obviously kind of at the cutting edge. Yeah. And and actually, we should mention, he wasn't just here on the podcast. And we'll have that episode linked in the show notes. But he also spoke, I think, at our event in November or so. And, and yeah. so that video is on YouTube. So people can go watch that as well. So. Congrats to him. And, and, you know, I think that model is compelling, of course, develop some very interesting technology. And then essentially, you're kind of working as the R&D lab of these kind of big internet giants. And, and you'd then join one of them and they, they roll out the technology on a massive scale. So yeah. 
Yeah, congrats. Congratulations to Sean Gorman and the Pixel 8 team. Well done, guys. We did have some other news, though, Stephen, that came out. It was, this was just yesterday, I think, and it's it's really quite shocking. Borders in Europe are, are moving. Borders in Europe are moving, indeed. And, exactly. And I'm pleased to tell you that as of this moment, war has been averted. Belgium and France have not gone to war over the border. Right. So why don't, why don't you recap this okay, so exciting tale? Hasn't seen this story, and I'm sure most of you have. There was a marker stone identifying the boundary between Belgium and France, and this stone was in the path of a Belgian farmer's tractor in the, on the edge of his field, and. Um, He'd been perpetually aggravated by this stone, and so he picked it up and he moved it, and in one day he made Belgium 2.3 metres larger than it should have been. But apparently the French are not about to take military action, and everybody's happy. But it is a sort of... It did prompt a little bit of riffing on crowdsourcing of borders and... The guy probably was an open street map contributor, or maybe he was an open street map saboteur. It sort of made me think about how, how really fictional borders are. You know, I mean, they're these constructs that we have that are man-made constructs. They don't really exist. You know, somebody puts a stone in the ground and that's where the border is. And apparently that stone was there in 1819 or something. You know, I mean. Well, you know, there's there actually so you know as as you as you know every week or so we do a, a geo thread on the Open Cage Twitter account, and a couple yeah. weeks ago I did one about border disputes, and there are actually far more border disputes than you might think. Oh, usually, yeah. not so many land based disputes. The land is usually pretty clear, but water based disputes, and there are actually quite a lot of very clever solutions. So, you know, between France and Spain. Near, near San Sebastian, there's an island in the middle of the river. So I think technically the, the border runs in the middle of the river or, but the question is, so what should the status of this island be? And of course the island, because of the flow of the water, the island is changing shape all the time slightly. And what they actually do is I think it's every six months, they change ownership of the island. So six months a year, maybe it's every two years, I don't recall, but you know, sometimes it's, it's France and then they, they hand it back over to Spain and they go back and forth. But there, there are a lot of border disputes around bodies of water or usually uninhabited islands and things like that. Oh, and then, Ed, I've got to correct you here. There are hundreds of land border disputes. No, no, I mean in Europe. I mean in Europe. Yes, yes, there are, of oh, course, there are actual border disputes in, in, um, in all around the world, of course. So in Europe, just to give you a quick, there's the Russian-Ukraine border, there's the Crimea, there's Mont Blanc summit is still disputed, Gibraltar is disputed. Yeah, but that's more like the, uh, okay, who, who owns Gibraltar is disputed, but it's not disputed where Gibraltar starts and stops. You know what I mean? Yes, I would say that is a dispute. I'd say that is a dispute. I, I, of course it's a dispute. The Spanish but, but, um, doesn't exist. It's have you safe. seen... But, you know, there are also a lot of very clever solutions to these border disputes. Yeah. Like, you know, between Germany and Belgium, I think it was after World War I, the, the border was set. So, but 
Belgium got a railroad truck that goes through Germany. So there's one little piece of the border where it's only the train trucks and, and kind of the course of the railway. So it creates kind of an, an exclave of Germany, but literally it's it's two meters wide. And yeah. it goes for a kilometer or something. They have all these kind of weird ones. And some of the, I mean, the famous one is, of course, that one between the Netherlands and Belgium, where it's like you have exclave inside of an enclave, inside of an exclave, inside of yeah. an enclave, and things like that. And Isn't there one of those between and on the Canadian-North America-USA border? I think there are parts of the United States that you can only, the only, you can only get to them via land by going via Canada. Yeah. But you can get to them water. There, there are several disputes between Canada and the United States, but I think it's about water. You know, like right. where in the ocean exactly is the, is the right. water. And, you know, in practice, I'm not sure it really, usually these disputes are quite, you know, minor and have no real effect day to day. But yeah, I think the Belgians and the French managed to, Wow, well, Stephen, that's how it starts. It's two meters here and then three meters next year and then four meters the year after that. And, you know, yeah. so the question is, where do you draw the line? Otherwise, you're all yeah. speaking Belgian. Yeah. So <laughs> There was a cartoon this morning that I saw which showed France under attack. The British are sending gunboats to Jersey as we speak over some... Potential fishing disputes, fish, yeah. Fishing disputes and blockade. The Belgians are encroaching into Spain, uh, into France rather, from from the east. And they were saying, so now it's time for Andorra it, to rise Andorra, up. yeah, Andorra to sort of grab a little yeah. territory as well. Anyway, enough of this stupidness. Let's wrap it. Let's wrap it up then. Well, big thanks for everyone for for listening and joining along. And uh, we'll be back in a week or so with some more guests. So take Take it easy, Stephen. Take care. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GMOP event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.